So if you've got your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2. Um, I want to review in Galatians uh, 1 for just a couple minutes here before we get jumping into chapter 2. <clears throat> if you need a handout, those should be on your tables. So Galatians 1, we'll start with verse 11, read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll get into chapter 2. So verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So who's the me? Paul, right? So Paul's writing here. For neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I remained with him fifteen days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was unknown by faith to, face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So, immediately after Paul uh, jumps into this defending where he got the gospel, he goes into chapter 2 and we start looking at specific examples of how he uh, keeps his justification by faith uh, belief as we go through this text. So chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, some of you may have a note with like a little asterisk out to the side. What does the, what does the asterisk or the note out to the side say? Anybody have a reference or a... Anybody? Nobody? Nobody has a Bible? That's awesome. <laughs> There should be a note associated with chapter with chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. If you have a study Bible, there's usually a note associated with this. Nothing? Nobody has one? Really? <coughs> Not a se- of the events recorded in Acts 11. In Acts 11, okay. That's one, that's one interpretation it is, yes. Anybody else? Different study Bibles will actually reference you to different parts of Acts. Uh, I believe this is Acts chapter 15. That's your blank on your hand out there. Um, because Paul talks about a time where he and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to confront church leaders about what was the gospel and what was not the gospel. Okay, This happens in Acts chapter 15. There's, Paul also shows up in Acts chapter 11, and there's great discussion around, well, which one was it? Could have been either one. It was probably Acts chapter 15, I think. So he meets, we introduce Barnabas here. And does anybody know uh, what Barnabas' original name was that his mama gave him? Anybody remember? Because Barnabas was not his name that his mama gave him. Barnabas was the name that the disciples gave him. Anybody know? Bible trivia of the day. Here we go. In this class, his wife's name is Julia. And he runs sound in the sanctuary. Joe, yes. Barney's original name was Joe. And that's his, that was his birth name, was uh, Joseph. 
And the disciples, you know, Barnabas, when he became a believer, it changed everything. You know, some people uh, will say, now I follow Jesus, and you look at their life before and you look at their life after, and you go, yeah, there wasn't a change, so I kind of wonder, was there a real change there? Well, when Barnabas became a believer, Barnabas was apparently a very wealthy individual because he was a landowner, and not many uh, Christians at that time owned land in the early church. And all these people that were converted on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people that came to know Christ, well, these people came out of various religions, and most of them, when they came out of that religion, were ostracized by their families. So they were kicked out of their houses. So the apostles, you know, these hundred or so, the apostles and the disciples, the hundred or so people that were really Jesus-following people when Jesus left, we now have 3,000 people to take care of. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> we need resources. We need boots on the ground. I saw a great uh, quote from... Uh, uh, Dave Ramsey, a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about the Good Samaritan. He said, you know, nobody would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he didn't have the resources necessary to take care of the person on the side of the road. You know, everybody likes to rail on the rich people and rail on this. And Well, the reality is somebody had to help, and he, God can use those resources. So Barnabas takes his, his resources, and he sells off this land, and he creates this opportunity for people to live, and they get to see love in action. Okay, They get to see love in action. So Barnabas is this guy that really does a lot of neat things. So when Saul is converted, he sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he goes back to uh, the city. Who introduces him to all the disciples? Anybody know? Barnabas does. That's right. Barnabas vouched. He put his reputation on the line for the person that was persecuting the church a couple of weeks before, which that's kind of cool. Right? I mean, that's kind of cool. And if you read through the book of Acts, and we saw this when we went through the Essential 100, if you read through the book of Acts, when the writer, when Dr. Luke introduces Paul and Barnabas, about half the time it's Paul and Barnabas, and about half the time it's Barnabas and Paul, which is kind of a big deal. Because if I'm hanging out with Paul the Apostle, right, and we're going to be introduced on stage to have a speaking event, who do you think is going to get to go first? Paul is going to get to go first, right? Yeah, Jim will do the closing prayer to get everybody out of the building, right? That's the way that'll work. But Barnabas was a a significant figure. Um, He's also, here's your blank, he's also the only good man named in the Bible. If you do a search on good man, that phrase in the Bible, the Proverbs will reference what a good man looks like. Barnabas is the only guy in the Bible that's actually called a good man, which that's kind of cool, I think, pretty pretty. Uh, narrow company there. It says, so verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus. Now, I won't go into all the verses that talk about who Titus was and what he did, but Paul in a variety of places through 2 Corinthians talks about how great Titus was, how consistent he was, how he, Paul actually says that if Titus wasn't around, I rarely had joy. And you're kind of going, wow, well, that's, that's kind of a big deal, right? So Barnabas was this real encouraging guy, and Titus brought the joy. So these are the people. If you think about what Paul had to go through, who do you want around you? Well, I want somebody that's going to bring joy, and I want somebody that's going to be an encourager, right, to go through all the different things that he went through in his ministry. So he's, he's listing out here who's with him. He's with Barnabas, and also took Titus, um, took, took them with me. In verse 2, and I went up by revelation... Hmm. I went up by revelation. So what in the world is that talking about? 
What does it sound like it could be? Went up by revelation. God told him to go, right? So we have special revelation and general revelation. You've probably heard these categories before. Special revelation is the specific words of God are telling someone to do something. This is the Bible. We have that now. Special revelation would be when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus and said, what are you doing? Right? Special revelation uh, would be the Holy Spirit speaking through the writers of the Bible as they poured out their words. General revelation would be you go out on a clear night and you look up at the stars and you go, dang, somebody made those. That's kind of cool, right? Uh, general revelation would be the first time you see your child after they're born and you realize there's something bigger here, right? There's something that was supernatural involved in the creation of this thing. This is not just a collection of cells that can be discarded. This is life and this is beautiful, right? So there's special revelation, there's general revelation. Paul's saying, God told me to do this. Now, we have a bit of a, uh, a conundrum here because in Acts chapter 15, I think it's verse 2, uh, Paul talks about that the churches told him to go to Jerusalem. So here in Galatians, he's saying, God told me to go. And in Acts chapter 15, the churches sent him. And you go, well, well, how do we reconcile that? Well, I have no problem in my mind with God telling Paul to do something and the church following up and confirming that so that they both gave the same message. This, to me, does not sound like an insurmountable problem for logic to explain. All right? So if you, go to Bible web, if you go to websites that say, uh, here's the, the errors in the Bible, this will be one that they point out to you. Mm-hmm. You go, well, uh, the church sent them and God sent them. Who sent them? Yes. It's okay. Right? This is not that complicated. So I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So Paul goes up and he tells them what the gospel is. Now, if you remember in Acts, there was a great debate around what the gospel is, right? Do you need the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ plus some other things or is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ enough? And here's the challenge. The challenge was that you had Jesus-loving Jews in the very first part of the church that said, I've been taught my entire life to keep the law. What do I do with that? Right? So, so three weeks ago, I was supposed to be keeping the law, and now I'm not? What do I do with that? Well, I think these Gentiles that are coming to Christ should be keeping the law too because God gave us the law. It's an interesting question, isn't it? So what do you do? All right. Well, it's very clear. Did Jesus teach keeping the law? Did Jesus teach keeping the law? No, he did not. He taught... He was the way, the truth, and the life, right? He did not say the law is the way, the truth, and the life. Go keep the Torah, right? We don't have those quotes from Jesus because he didn't say those things, right? He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul goes and meets with the leadership, the church leadership at Jerusalem. So think about this, right? So you're out in the off skirts of 
creation, preaching the gospel, doing your thing, living for Jesus, and you go to where the church leadership is, and you get to go explain what you believe the gospel is. I'd be a little bit nervous. I want to make sure I got every word just right, that I was extremely clear. So what does Paul do? I communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation. Now, if you read Acts, you see that there were people who strongly believed that you should be keeping some parts of the law. There were people who strongly believed that you shouldn't be keeping any parts of the law. So what did he do? Well, there were church leaders who believed you should keep the law. So he went to them in private. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he go and meet with them in private as opposed to in front of everybody, Peter, you're wrong. Yeah, there was some respect there, right? There was some appropriateness. Um, When possible, here's here's your blank, praise in public and correct in private. Right? I mean, it's just... This is a better way to live. It's a better way to get along. This is not dodging the truth. This is protecting reputation. This is, I'm not going to rip my brother down so that God can't use him in a way, in a position of authority going forward. Okay? Does this make sense? All right. So, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. And and this little phrase kind of, it threw me there for a little while, and I read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. So what happens if Paul goes and he meets with the, uh, the leadership in Jerusalem and they decide that the gospel is grace plus law? Wow. Well, that word's going to get out, right? And that word's going to trickle back to all the places that Paul went. And that word's going to go to those churches that he planted and they're going to get off track, which is kind of what happened to the Galatians here. They're going to get off track. And the work that he did might have been for nothing. Okay, so this to him was worth fighting for. This to him was worth going and have this conversation about because he didn't want his life to be worth nothing. So I'll give you an example. How many of you know DeLeslin Mitchell in our church? Anybody know DeLeslin? She runs what? Like a crazy crazy person. Thank you. I was hoping nobody would say a marathon. Uh, She runs like a crazy person all the time, running, running, running. I'm friends with her on Facebook, and about every, I don't know, 15 minutes, there's some post about running, Okay. Uh, she's tired, she's injured, she's, run, she's on the bike. I'm on the bike right now. You know, it's like, this is amazing. I'm swimming to get ready for uh, triathlons. Um, she's doing something in Florida. I should, really, I'm, I should really know the details of this because I've read a thousand posts about it. She's doing an Ironman, uh, which is uh, way too much swimming, way too much biking, and way too much running in your life, nevertheless, in one period of time. Right? So she is extremely excited about this. When she crosses the finish line, what does she get? Chocolate milk, yes. There's something that they give her for finishing, a medal, right? Why does she get a medal? Because, dang it, she finished this crazy thing, right? She needs something to show that this was of value. So what if she goes and she does her Ironman, she finishes, and they go, you know what? That's okay. You, You don't get a medal. She's going to come out of her skin. God help that person that tells her that, right? 
So in, in her mind, you could almost say that the race that she ran would have been in vain because there was no prize at the end of it. Paul is looking at all these churches that he has planted, all this work that he has done as the work, his race. I am running my race. There is a prize at the end of it. Jesus Christ is going to tell me, good job. But if these people come back and undo all of this work, is there a, this is a problem for him. So he is going to go and confront this. So, verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So they go to Jerusalem. They have this conversation in private with the leadership. They agree on what the gospel is, and the leadership didn't even press Titus, who was a Greek, so he's a Gentile. So Paul was a, was he a Jew or a Gentile? He's a Jew. What about Barnabas? Yes. What did you say? What did you say? His mom was one, his dad was the other. And Titus was dad Gentile, mom Gentile. So any combination of this was here, right? And this is what I love about these particular guys. So you had full-blood Jew, half-Jew, half-Gentile, full-Gentile. None of them were under the law. This is what's beautiful. Because Paul, in three people, clearly explains that the law does not rule over any of us here. Does this make sense? So Titus is not compelled to be circumcised. Verse 4. And this occurred, this is the confronting these leaders, because of false or lying brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into, what's the word? What's your, anybody have a different? Slavery. slavery. There you go. Paul equates living under the law with slavery. Slavery. Now, in our culture here, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, with the history of this place in the South, can slavery, that conversation, be a sensitive subject? Yes, ridiculously sensitive. We must be exceedingly careful how we approach this. So if living under the law is like slavery, who wants to sign up for that? Nobody wants to sign up for that. Nobody wants to sign up. Putting ourselves under the law, either voluntarily or under the teaching of someone who is saying we should be under the law, is shackling ourselves to something that has no power over us. Okay? Does this make sense? Everybody with me? All right, so let's get real rubber meets the road here. So what is technically the law? Somebody tell me, what part of the Bible is the law? The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Good job. So, do we have to live by the rules that are laid out in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Are we under the law? Does it have dominion and power in our life? And the answer is? No. Say it louder. The answer is? No. No. The answer is no. So if you look at your tag on your sweater and it says polyester, you're okay, all right? Because there's a law against wearing fabrics that are mixed. Did you know that? It's unbelievable. If you had a ham biscuit this morning, you're okay, all right? Maybe. If you had like nine, maybe not, right? But if you had one, you're, probably, you're, you're good to go. 
You see where we're going with this? So let's get real problematic. What about the Ten Commandments? Nobody ever wants to answer this one, by the way. They're restated in the New Testament, right? Yeah. Are we supposed to honor our parents? As children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Absolutely, it's in the New Testament. Put away lying. Absolutely. Right? Uh, what's one for don't covet your neighbor's livestock in the New Testament? Um, uh, in whatsoever state I am, therewith I, I, I found to be content. Right? I'm going to be content with what I have and where I am. Right? These principles are taught in the New Testament. So those of you that have drilled the Ten Commandments into your children, it's okay. All right? Relax. We haven't gone off on legalism off the deep end here. Okay? It, it's all right. We, should we kill? Does the New Testament encourage us to kill each other? Absolutely not. God forbid we do that, right? So there are passages in the Old Testament that are very clearly retaught under the umbrella of grace and love in the New Testament. That's good, all right? Does this make sense? Yes. So if you read something in the Old Testament, in the law, and it says, uh, somebody give me a law that, that may not, uh, stoning, right? right? So if you find someone to be an adulterer, they are to be stoned. So you're supposed to carry around pebbles in your, in your pocket all day long? Oh, you're, you're an adulterer. I'm going to throw rocks at you. That's where the term throwing rocks at you came from, by the way, in case you're wondering. Yeah, it, no, we're not going to be doing that. That's obviously not love. That's obviously not how Jesus would have treated those around him. Does this make sense? Okay. I'm purposely beating this horse. I, I can't say that from Shelbyville, can I? Yeah, I've got to use a different analogy. <laughs> They'll believe that I did. I have never struck a horse. Okay, there we go. Now, most people won't get that. It's okay. All right, so Paul equates living under the law with slavery. Verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. So in these private meetings that Paul had with these folks, he did not give in on this. And I say, thank you, Jesus. Um, Warren Wearsby has a great quote here. He says, has, had Paul been unwilling to wage this spiritual warfare, the church in the first century might have become only a Jewish sect, preaching a mixture of law and grace. But because of Paul's courage, the gospel was kept free from illegalism and was carried to the Gentiles with great blessing. And yes, win one for good theology, right? I mean, just stand up and stand up and say something. Now, you have to know what you're talking about in order to do this, though, right? So, Lynn, your job is what? what? What do you deal with at work? Accounting. Accounting stuff, right. So, uh, no, it's not. Um, I love you dearly and have known you for a long time, but no, it is not. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's accounting stuff, right? And, yeah, it's just not exciting at all. But are there rules around accounting? Yeah. Are there a lot of rules around accounting? Too many rules. Does it get confusing at times? It does. Why does it get confusing if there are too many rules? Do some of the rules appear to be problematic with each other? Yeah, they do. Can there be differences of opinion between accountants? Yes. Can they have significant consequences? Very much so. Yes. We've heard of Enron, right? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so when there are differences of opinion in the Old Testament rules and in the New Testament rules... As a good accountant, 
Which do you go with? The more recent. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You go with the more recent because the more recent is the more relevant. Now, this is not to say what is found in the Old Testament is irrelevant. Absolutely not. The stories that we have found there, the knowledge that we have gained, the experience of life that we do not have to walk through because of what exists there and is documented there is unbelievably helpful. But I don't have to go kill a goat. Yay. Right? This is good. It is good. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to go there. All right. So to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue. I love this word, continue. Uh, It's in the uh, aorist tense, which means it's the past, it's the present, and it's the future. Because the gospel is always truth. It is always truth. This one will mess with your head. You ready? Before God laid the foundations of the world, the gospel was truth. So, so while Adam and Eve were walking around in the garden before they had ever sinned, God knew how he was going to fix it. He had it all lined up. It was beautiful. Now, it took a couple of thousand years, which in our time is just ridiculously long, but in his time it's no biggie. He's very, very patient. He will wait on this. So the gospel is always truth. So verse 6, But from those who seemed to be something, these are the people that were wrong, right? Whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. Whenever you, whenever you see these little phrases when Paul says it makes no difference to me, he's about to get uh, kind of a, a backhanded comment is about to come here, okay? God shows no personal favoritism to man. So if you want to translate this literally in the Greek, it says God takes no man's face. So Terry, come up and help me out for a second. So God takes no man's face. So Terry's going to be God, all right? Because... He's wearing something more religious than I am, so we'll go with that direction. All right? So Terry's God, and taking a man's face is accepting a man's presence. All right? So in the Old Testament, because we have several examples of this, were we allowed to walk up to the presence of God and look at God face to face? What would have happened? They would drag you out with the rope, right? And the little bells would have wiggled for the high priest. Yeah, jingle, 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 jingle. Yeah, the high priest is dead. No, yeah, this is not good. You didn't get to do this. God doesn't show favoritism to any man. So, Katie, come on up. Josh, come on up. Think about how awful this scenario would be. Come on. So we're going to stand side by side, right? And God's going to look at each one of us and God accepts Katie, but not me and Josh. <laughs> and Ka- Katie's, Katie's going, yeah, that's awesome. And, and me and Josh are doing exactly like Josh's face went, what? what? How is that possible, right? That's not fair, right? And God is very just. So what God does, come here, is God doesn't accept any of us. This is a problem for us. This is a real problem for us. So, uh, Tim, I'll redeem you. Here we go. All right, so put your iPad down. Come on up. We get to talk about accounting again? No, we don't get to talk about accounting. We're going to redeem this here. Um, I just called you Tim. I'm sorry, Lynn. Good gracious. (laughs) I apologize. I was going somewhere else. So, So God doesn't accept. He doesn't allow us to look at him face to face, right? So we need somebody to come and to stand in the middle and to do this for us. So who is this person? 
Jesus. This is Jesus, yes. This is what Jesus does for us. I, Jesus the accountant. Who knew, right? Debit's on the left, credit's on the right. Yeah. I knew it was a good profession. Uh, there you go. So God accepts him. He accepts his faith. And when we accept Jesus, we get to stand before God because Jesus can. Okay? This is how this works. So God is not a respecter of us, but he respects him. And when we accept him, this makes all the difference. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he gets us and he brings us to God. Come in close. Come in close. We're family. <laughs> right? And, and, and it works for us because we can't bridge that gap any other way. Does this make sense? All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. That was as many people as I've ever used in an example. <laughs> I was losing track of who was who. I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> all right. So verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. So Paul is saying, those who were high on themselves taught Paul nothing. They taught Paul nothing. But on the contrary, when they first saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, whenever you see the, the phrase uncircumcised in the New Testament, it's talking about Gentiles. You see the phrase circumcised, it's talking about the Jews. Uh, generally, until you get into like 2 Corinthians, and then he's talking about saved and unsaved, but we'll, we'll cover that when we do 2 Corinthians in a few years. Uh, for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised, for the Jews, was to Peter. So, again, as we talked about last week, the Gentiles were Paul's domain, the Jews were Peter's domain, and they crossed over a little bit here and there. There was, some, there was a little bit of crossover. There wasn't a hard, firm line between the two. Uh, verse 8, for he who worked effectively or put the power in Peter for the apostleship to the Jews also worked effectively or put the power in me toward the Gentiles. Verse 9, and when James, Cephas, who's Cephas? Simon Peter, right? And John, who seemed or were supposed to be pillars, pillars in the church, perceived that the grace had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Now, you guys know that when we have a new family that joins our church, we have them stand in front of the church and they wave and they smile and they awkwardly pray that Daryl doesn't ask them to say anything because that would be embarrassing. And we pray and then people come around and we say, give them the right hand of fellowship, right? Well, what does that mean? What's that about? Well, it's a way to formally welcome and honor someone new. This says, stand up, Albert. This says we're on the same page. Okay? This says we're together on this. We're going to go through this together. So when the apostles at Jerusalem, the leadership, shook their hands, they're acknowledging their gospel. We're on the same page. All right? So imagine this. You've got, I'm going to get the names right. You've got James and Peter and John. And Paul and Barnabas. Shaking hands, agreeing on theology. How could we get a picture of that? How cool would that have been, right? Like fist bumps and hugs and knuckles and, you know. No, it's probably just shaking hands. They, they, I don't think they fist bumped back then. But the holy hug, probably it was a holy hug. They perceived that the grace had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And it's beautiful. They desired only that we should remember or keep on remembering the poor, and this is a special word for those who are reduced to begging. This is not somebody who 
uh, is in between jobs, and this is reduced to begging, the very thing which I was also eager or hurrying up to do. So Paul was already on board with this, away they went. So you ask, what's the, what's the point, Jim? All right. Number one, defending the gospel involves keeping the right stuff in and the wrong stuff out. Right? So what do I do with that? Well, know the right stuff. Right? You've got to know the right stuff. You've got to know the death, the burial, and the resurrection. If you make it through this series without knowing that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have podcasted it, and you can listen to it again. And you will pick up on it about ten times every Sunday school lesson. Okay? Number two, imposters will always preach a different gospel. They will always preach a different gospel. The definition of an imposter is somebody who is false. They are not with us. If they are not with us, their gospel is not with us. So what do we do? Well, we know the right stuff and the wrong stuff. Absolutely. We have to know this. We have to know what's in. We have to know what's out. Number three, living under the law is slavery. If you want to live under the law and be a slave, you have that option. The gospel sets you free from that. Right? If it is not of grace, it is of law. Number three, down the personalized, what do I do? Live under grace. It is a happier place to live. This is your happy place, okay? If you want to go to your happy place, live under grace. If you want to go to a sad place, live under the law, right? I think it's interesting that the Gentile in the group, Titus, who didn't live under the law, was the one who brought the joy. I think we should catch that in there. Number four, the truth is worth the effort. Uh, please get this. The truth is worth the effort. Uh, know the truth and be willing to challenge anyone with it. If I get up here one Sunday morning and muddle through the gospel, help me, okay? Now, you don't have to jump up and go, liar! That's okay. There's a, there's a, a right way to do this. Albert's like, dang, that'd be awesome, right? <laughs> you volunteered, didn't you? Okay. And then number five, leaders are sometimes wrong. It's part of surprise face on, right? Uh, be private, gracious, patient, direct, and loving in correcting. If you want to see a whole good chapter on this, 1 Timothy 5 is fantastic. We'll show you how to do this and keep the leader as a friend through the process. All right? First half of Galatians chapter 2. I love Galatians. That's the lesson for today. If you've got your uh, Sunday school handout in the middle, make sure your prayer requests are on that. Pray as a table then you are dismissed to go. Make sure your name is on that as well so that we can record your attendance. And uh, thanks for coming today. Appreciate you.